2: Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Deep Dive, the all music books podcast, where we speak with authors of music books, bios, history, criticism, cultural takes, and everything in between. I'm your host, Steve J. Our guest today is Paul Myers, the co-author of Go All the Way, a Literary Appreciation of Power Pop. We interviewed the other co author, S.W. Lawdon, but thought it might be interesting to get Paul's perspective as the two authors came together on the book in a very interesting way. Welcome, Paul.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
2: A very interesting book. It starts off with the story of how you and Steve got together to work on the book. Can you tell our listeners the genesis of this book and, and how it came together?
1: Ironically, the, the word genesis is part of the story in that I had been asked by Tyson over at, um, Rare Bird, a few years ago to submit a a literary story for a literary compilation of stories about progressive rock called uh, Yes is the Answer. And uh, I had sort of written about the summer from which I was going from progressive rock into punk rock, a new wave. And it was kind of like a coming of age story. And I really enjoyed the format. And I said to Tyson, I said, you know, I'm a big power pop guy. I would love if we could do a literary compilation similar to this. And we could talk about just stories and people's, either musician stories or listener stories or just whatever, essentially about power pop, but without ever really being kind of a definitive book about power pop, but just referring to things. And I said to give it a title, Go All The Way, which is the Raspberry song, seems like the right title for this thing. So we just had the title and an idea. And then um, I heard that my neighbor, actually, Michael Shabon, the uh, novelist, was a huge power pop guy and had written an essay about Big Star. And I said, Well, that'll be our high watermark. We'll ask Michael. And Michael said he would. We didn't have a book, but we had him saying sure. And so then I said, Let's go after all the big name literary authors we can find out if Zadie Smith is into power pop, find out if Jonathan Lethem's into power pop. Of course, none of those people responded. I really wanted Nick Hornby, for instance, who I'm sure has either something negative or positive to say, but it would be great. Couldn't get through the wall of, publicists to get to him. So I never, never did find out, but in the short term, I started thinking, well, what else could I do? Like, and so I started asking a few people at Ken Sharp, who was a journalist who had written about PowerPop for a long time. And he told me that, you know, he had been interviewing Paul Stanley and Paul Stanley of Kiss was a big raspberries fan. So I thought, well, maybe we can get that part of it and have it be that Paul Stanley talks about the raspberries, which is like kind of neat. And then he said, and Tom Petty kind of fits the bill because he talked about Jeff Lynne and really liking ELO and the move. And, you know, and so I thought, okay, so we got something, the book languished at this point, we didn't really have anything else. And I had a few, I was putting out word, you know, I asked Mark Marin, the podcaster, and he said, you know, I don't really like that stuff, you know? Okay. So I thought, okay, don't ask him. Then suddenly Tyson calls me and says, I was talking to uh, Steve Lauden, SW Lauden, and I. he sort of had an idea for a PowerPop book. And I said, well, maybe the two of us, could like restart this project now and use our combined Rolodexes to get it going. And that's what happened. So then we started talking and I had never met him. In fact, I have still never met him in person. <laughs> in fact, I think it's going to happen at some point because now that it's a little easier to travel. I'm, I've been in LA twice since this thing happened and it never worked out that we were in the same part of LA. But um, I'm in Northern California. I'm in the Berkeley area. That's how that came together. And then he pulled out people that he knew. And we also started talking broadly about what it could be, you know? And and I said, you know, one of the things I'm really loathe to do is another boys club book. And also if we can get away from white boys, like obviously there's going to be a lot of white boys in a story like this. But I said, let's just see what, if there's any kinds of, maybe the word is diverse, you know, people who are still within the Power Pop thing. And that's when we started thinking you know, oh, my God, like you've got Blondie, you've got the Bengals, you got Go-Go's and then women who enjoyed Power Pop, you know, that was kind of the thing but that. So that's sort of what happened there. We kind of got into this thing where together we made this happen and it took a a long time. But when it finally kicked in and Tyson said, for sure, we're doing this, then it was like now we could tell our authors, you know, this is actually going to come out. So do you want to submit a story for us?
2: Well, it's a great book and it's a, a really unique take. I don't know. I think everybody likes power pop. I, you know, I made a playlist with Steve on this book and it's like, every song is great. Yeah. And is it fair to say that everyone has a different take on what power pop is?
1: Yeah. In the book, I actually say it's a little like when you ask people to define what love is, you know, it's different for everybody. And it might even be different every time. Uh, I had a few elements for me that define power pop. And one of them, um, there's an element of euphoria. There's an element of, what I call the, the fierce urgency of the eternal Friday night. <laughs> you know, it's always, we're about to go out. It's Friday or Saturday night. And a lot of times the protagonist is hurt uh, by possibly by a, a love interest. And, but also just, they just want to go out and have a good time, you know, and it's an eternal youth too. Like there's a sense of any age you listen to this stuff. It's always kind of about, we got forever. We got all this stuff, you know, and Michael Chabon talks a little bit about this thing, but there's always an underlying sadness, like big stars. Uh, number one hit record was not a number one hit record they weren't even big stars right, in their day right. almost all the songs were like i want to be with you tonight by the raspberries like he's not with her he wants to be with her <laughs> so bad and there's a longing and a dissatisfaction but also a celebration that's the part that i took home with me you know uh, saturday night is a, a great energy that to it and songs like surrender which are power pop to me are about just triumphantly celebrating in harmonious as opposed to like aggressive uh, which I love punk rock and I love anger rock I love all kinds of stuff I love Devo I love metal at times I love the blues but this is a specific thing that I love about power pop
2: well it's interesting you mentioned Michael Chabon and he's a Pulitzer Prize winning author and he has a great quote and we mentioned how it means different things to everybody but the one thing your book makes clear is that everybody has a view of what it is. Yeah. And Michael's quote was very interesting and he wrote that power pop is a prayer offered up by atheists to a god who exists but doesn't hear. <laughs> well, I mean, wow. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's why he has the Pulitzer prize. <laughs>
2: Um, you mentioned different ways that you would define power pop and, uh, they're great. And, you know, it's one of those things, I'm one of the people, you know, it, when you hear it, there's such an astonishing mix of contributors and clearly fans. Um, you talked a little bit about before you got the book, who you wanted maybe to write for it, but how did you get your submissions and how did you decide whose pieces to include? I mean, was there anything left on the floor?
1: Uh, there were people who didn't deliver, um, (laughs) Uh, the people who said they were going to do it and we were holding a place for them right up, you know, right till we had to lock the cabin doors to get this plane off the ground. It was, uh, but what happened was we had a certain kind of, I don't know if it's snooty, but we, we kept using the word literary. We wanted to make sure that this was, they could be personal essays that had nothing to do with fact, as long as they were about the sort of fantasia surrounding the aura of power pop. You know what I mean? We wanted it to stand alone as you could read this the way you would read like the Believer magazine or the way you would read um, McSweeney's or something. We wanted it to be like, oh, I'm reading some interesting takes from people using you know, all the best words they know how, or even the most minimal words, but somehow they're trying to use words to get a story across and this is storytelling. So that was the essential part of it. Sort of like the way uh, some comedy shows have a political edge but they Mm -hmm. really want to make sure they're funny first so we wanted the writing to be funny Uh, we're writing to be good i mean it could be funny too Uh, we wanted the writing to be as real as it could be and then we thought let's just start by asking people we know steve knows people through both being a musician and through being an author i know people from being a musician and an author uh, just from being around forever like i also i i worked in the toronto music scene i was a musician there And then, but I know people in the Vancouver, Canada scene. I know people in San Francisco for the last 20 odd years. And I know people in New York through just being friends with people. So we we started just inviting people and telling them like, don't tell everyone about this. It's kind of like, we don't want a feeding frenzy. We want to try and manage this. At a certain point, word leaked out to some people that we had not invited them. And so we were like, okay, well, the book's going to press if this does well, we'll ask you to come in, you know? And it, there was one or two people where I felt like I had to write them an apology letter because they were so hurt. But then there was people that, it came up later. Like we were, um, so I, I, don't, I don't know, if it was the first or the second book but Dave Holmes was this writer who I knew from, he'd written for um, various publications like The Atlantic and things like that. And he had written about Tommy Keene. I didn't even know when I was first listening to Tommy Keene that he was a gay man. And I, I had actually played gigs with him and and he passed away. And Dave, who has written very openly about growing up as a gay man in his small town, and then eventually he has a podcast about things to do with that. He had written this article about the sort of significance of Tommy Keene as, as representing sort of gay punk rock and uh, gay power pop and sort of that gay energy of being you know, defiant and celebratory, and his piece was called "Don't Don't Forget to Dance" or something. I now I'm like bad, but I love the image of it. And I said, "This has to be in the book because that's that inclusiveness thing. Like a take on power pop that me wouldn't I wouldn't have thought of that. Like I wouldn't have thought, oh, I wonder what it was like for a, a gay man hearing all these songs about boys and girls and stuff. And and you know, because there was always that heterosexual bias in in a lot of these boy girl songs, you know. And and you realize later, like guys like Pete Shelley of the Buzzcocks had this energy that was, could go either way. The lyrics were kind of amorphous, you know? Mm. So Homo Sapien might've been the first time that Peter Pete Shelley of the Buzzcocks really wanted you to know something, but all his songs were generic love songs that didn't say either who his romantic, romantic interest was. And anyway, so that was an interesting thing that happened where we started to hear stories coming in like, oh, that'll be good for, you know, that'll be good. And so so that happened in the second book a lot. We got a lot more people based on that.
2: You know, there's so many interesting takes, and it is very personal stories and personal essays. And, you know, one of my favorites, and it might open the book after the forward, uh, was written by Nancy Rommelman. And it was such a cool perspective, tying together the Shivers teen line and Debbie, Harry, and Blondie hanging on the telephone, the replacement's answering machine, to growing up, and I would guess particularly as a young woman, and talking on the phone to boys and also to her grandparents and stuff. And it was a very personal line, and she just name-checked a couple of really interesting bands that I didn't know, the Shivers, for instance, and uh, well done, very well done.
1: You know, what's funny about the Shivers is I also didn't really know their stuff. And and Nancy Rommelman and, and John Borak were talking about the shivers a lot. And I was like, I better, I better know about this. So now <laughs> I do. But, and that's one of the things we liked about doing this book is like hearing more perspective on things that I didn't get exposed to necessarily. And I should tell you that Michael Chabon is a friend of mine now. And we talk all the time about bands that I've never heard of. And he's like <laughs> always finding new things. And, uh, you know, or we both go, Hey, we, you know, remember Silver Sun from Scotland? and 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 like nobody talks about silver sun but you know and he's a huge guided by voices fan and sees the power pop in them hmm. and so so that nancy's nancy's story was great and that's kind of why it's where it is too we w- kind of wanted to say let's let you know what this book is right. as opposed to what it's not right. you know and right. yeah and you get to mention like you know debbie harry in the first story which is great because i you know everything should always mention Debbie Harry whenever possible. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, and also I was really impressed because I didn't know Nancy. And I, when I saw her credits, like things she's done before, like she'd written for the Wall Street Journal and stuff like that. And and I felt I felt like that's also kind of the original idea was to get people who ordinarily wouldn't have an outlet to write for a music magazine or wouldn't be writing for music mag- I don't know about her case, but um, we wanted it to be like, how about this? This person, like the Shabon being the prototype, You know, did you know that this guy who wrote Cavalier and Clay also likes Big Star? You know, which is it's more clear now that I know, Michael. But, you know, uh, at the time, it seemed like an out thing, you know.
2: Well, power poppers are everywhere. And I've learned that through your book, through talking to people, playlists Uh, and also omnipresent is, you know, Badfinger. Raspberries, and Big Star. They seem to be on everyone's list, and most folks are familiar with them somehow, even if they don't know the term power pop. Right. You know, do you have recommendations of a first listen song or album-wise for somebody who's like, well, I don't really know what power pop is?
1: Oh, oh, yeah. Uh, Now there's so many. Well, it's funny because there's two different kinds of tempos that I recommend. And like, so September Girls by Big Star is a mid-tempo lament kind of song. It has that sort of slowish, you know, groove. A song like uh, When My Baby's Beside Me by Big Star is a little more uh, direct. And um, in terms of other artists, I always say the records, either Tina Rama or um, Starry Eyes are, to me, those are archetypal. Actually, this can't explain by the who. Is prototypical power pop to me?
2: Yeah, it's funny. The Who don't ever mention the Beatles, and we'll talk about that later. But they—they they definitely were the blueprint. But I asked Steve, and I asked John Borak, and they were both definitively no. They're not considered power pop. And so it's—it's it's interesting because you know there's a lot of talk and a lot of stuff about power pop.
1: I have something to say about that, which okay. is, and I think I've said this in other interviews or maybe in the book somewhere that power pop to me is also. Yeah, A band doesn't have to be power pop to play a power pop song. And the analogy I always make is rockabilly. You would never call Queen a rockabilly song, but one of their biggest hits was Crazy Little Thing Called Love, which was a rockabilly song. So you could say that they were rockabilly on that song. And I think a, a great example is like 38 Special have two of my favorite power pop songs. Oh boy. And also a lot of bands do not like to be called power pop and certainly uh, famously fountains of Wayne." i think adam was a little cooler about it chris has been kind of like i don't want to be associated with that you know like but like there's some of their songs which are pure power pop to me i think that they just don't want to be associated with like surrender by cheap trick there's a big argument about cheap trick right some people get mad if you say that cheap trick had power pop songs because they go they were a hard rock and midwestern band man and they say just like that (laughs) and i think that sometimes they think that i'm making them seem lesser by calling them power pop which is uh, if you know me you know that's not the case you know
2: yeah yeah And, and you know there's even some of the women that we'll talk about later and you ask them the same question some of them embrace it some of them say no way we're not that and some go i don't know call it what you want which is probably the fairest thing and Give me a couple of your favorite, most underrated power pop bands. I mean, we've got the big names and they're great and they're on our playlist. And what's, you know, like I said, like the muffs or. or
1: Yeah. The muffs are certainly uh, one of the, I mean, I just recently interviewed Ronnie Barnett for my own podcast about these Kim Shattuck demos that I just came out or the coming out for records today. And uh, it's also going to be on their box set of the really, really happy uh, reissue that's from 2004. That is like she has all the energy, the the, the all the elements, the drive, um, the hooks, the attitude, and I think that if, more people should have known about the Muffs while she was alive. And I, some people did. Don't get me wrong, but uh, it was always like, why weren't they the band that be, like Green Day became or something mm. like? You know, like they're they're the same pocket of post punk uh, hookiness and immediacy and just all overall catchiness. And Kim was such an original. So I, I wish the muffs were better known. Uh I mentioned earlier Silver Sun. There's a song called Golden Skin by play Silver Sun. I always tell people, go listen to that. That is this the the Power Pop song I wish I'd written, you know, that you know, and I don't know if Sloan are underrated, but Sloan or I've been a personal a champion of Sloan everywhere I go. I'm a Sloan representative. They were from my my social uh, world, like they were from the Toronto bands. Well, they're from Halifax and they came to Toronto when I was still pushing my band, the Gravel Berries, right? Which is another underrated band, <laughs> the Gravel Berries. But um, in America, I I don't know what, what their profile is. Sometimes I forget if other people know about certain things. But to me, Sloan are like one of the big bands for me, you know, and the Odds from Vancouver who um, aren't always power pop, But when they are, it's like some of the best power pop ever. And I think Verabend, who also would not necessarily use the term power pop, but I I will anoint them.
2: Do you think uh, record companies have any, I don't want to say blame, but, you know, they chased and signed a lot of power pop bands when that moment hit. Uh, But kind of predictably, their interest did not last very long. And, you know, one thing that I learned about that I'd never heard about was Knacklash in your book, which I found fascinating. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean that's what happened. I mean, a lot of the people, musicians that I talk to, who resist the term, part of it is that they don't want to be seen as being a skinny tie. I think the phrases are skinny tie wearing, Rick and backer playing Vox AC 30 amp cranking, you know, '60s wannabe. The knack are a lot better than they get credit for. But having said that, even if you dismiss them as the sort of like overhyped version of the power pop spectrum, yeah, they got scared off by it, and they they saw it as as a, a trivialized thing that wasn't about the music. It was about the, the movement and, and anything that's about the music isn't about the music. That's only about the movement is not worth pursuing. I mean, there's a generalized thing I just said, I don't know. You probably find examples that don't fit that, but if somebody likes something just because of what clothes they're wearing, it might not last. I don't mm-hmm. know, but mm-hmm. you know, say that to kiss who lasted forever <laughs> wearing the same clothes. I don't know.
2: Not a power pop band, no matter what Ken Sharp says.
1: but when you hear certain elements of what paul stanley does in kiss you're like that guy knows like aerosmith are huge beatles and yardbirds fans and you hear it a song like janie has got a gun uh the choruses of janie has got a gun are very uh you know beatley and uh there's one was it um jaded could have been jaded by aerosmith could have been an xtc song that's an argument i will have forever
2: that's a good one uh you know you mentioned um you know, blueprints maybe, or, or things that you associate with bands. And, you know, my background, uh, I worked for two different independent labels, Ryko Disc and Rounder Records as a creative wow. director awesome. and did lots of album covers. And one of the things in doing some of the research on this that I noticed is that the visual blueprint is out there. It's like just swap the band out and perhaps the background color, but you mentioned the clothing, but it's always a band shot against a flat background, almost always. And yeah. it works.
1: Yeah. And a lot of them have those, uh, what I call the Burke the Clemberg haircut, oh, like the, the sort of a, uh, a sixties coif that looks like they could have been in like Jeff Beck would have worn this, uh, the same, like sort of Buffon slightly. I mean, Eric Carmen's was way exaggerated, but if you look at Pete ham from Badfinger, had the oh, same yeah. haircut. Wow. And, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, there's a band pose like, uh, 2020 on the cover of one of their records. And, uh, I think, uh, romantics also had the same pose and it's 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 a thing and also a lot of these bands were sort of being hyped around the same time as punk and post-punk so there was a lot of angular angular pink neon (laughs) and lime green uh, a lot of those sort of sunny new wave colors associated with it and that's of a generational power pop i mean then there's bands like jellyfish who who Embrace the '60s look and the '70s look. Again, there's a band that you could call them a lot of different kinds of music, but they have big hooks. Like joining a fan club, to me, is a power pop song, but you know, not all their songs are power pop. So, but they fit the bill, like XTC. XTC. How do you keep XTC in one box? You right, know, right? But anyway, but the definitely the look for sure. Uh, there's definitely a way to telegraph to people that you're a power pop band if you're if you're trying to. You could use use the graphics to do that for sure.
2: One of the interesting things about power pop is, is, you know, there are those classics that you think of, but it extends even in today. You know, for instance, your co-author, um, he sent me a copy of the Steve Brothers and listened to that. And then I was like, I did not know people made music like this anymore. And it's straight up power pop. And so that still extends today. There, there's power pop bands out there. I guess, you know, how to find them is the difficult thing.
1: You know, it's interesting. Uh, I also put out a record in 2014 with uh, John Mormon from San Francisco. We called it the Paul and John, which was a, a kind of a nod to our Beatle heroes, but also the idea of just calling it the Paul and John, uh, which was who we are. And we played all the instruments together. And one of the songs on there is called Long Way Back. And Long Way Back is kind of about me coming to terms with finding the true essence of music, despite the music business, You know, like I stepped away from the music business and kind of got bitter for a few years. Uh, You know, I don't know. It's hard to remember because I don't feel that way anymore. But I was a little, you know, turned off by everything. Just thought, I'm not going to keep doing this. And then, But then I wrote a song about innocence and about going back to that part of you that said, this is exciting. And I wrote this song that was exciting to me. And it was kind of a power pop song it's also kind of a punk song, but it's, it's eighth note rock with like harmonies, you know, and that to me, that was my definition of power pop. So I wrote that song with the idea that maybe that euphoria, when I tap in there, it's like the rings of a tree, it's still in there. You know, it's just you, you develop all kinds of bitter bark. (laughs) I mean, going with the tree analogy that for some reason I brought in.
2: You're listening to All Music Podcasts, a member of Pantheon Media. We're speaking with Paul Myers, who's the co-author of Go All the Way, a literary appreciation of power pop. It's a great read. And it's funny talking to you now. You just connected like two questions that I had. So (laughs) let me ask those. Um, You know, the first one was, you know, you mentioned that there's a connection between maybe the poppier side of punk and power pop. And then what I noticed is unlike a lot of music genres, there is a less of a generational divide right? Between like the old stuff and the new stuff, you know, there's a connection from everyone from Badfinger to Deborah Harry, to Liz fair, to jellyfish, as you mentioned for the fans of power pop. Why do you think that is? Uh,
1: Maybe it's that thing I was saying about the rockabilliness of it, like in the sense that it's a genre style that you can put on at any time rather than it's so dated that it doesn't belong to any date anymore. You know what I mean? Uh, And I think that that, that makes it kind of like uh deciding to wear bell bottoms or, or deciding to wear uh i don't know maybe that's the bad analogy but uh the idea that you could just you could just ad- adopt a power pop sound at any time and it it, it just now is a it's a, a a trope almost like it's a thing that you could pull out you know maybe that's it i don't know also i can i just say that yeah. itunes And all of that, the idea of the vertical availability of music, which changed the way you heard things, uh, you know, from so streaming, as well as maybe more compact disc compilations over the years, and the internet's ability to tell people about things. In the old days, a lot of bands, a lot of the first wave power pop bands, and also second wave, had really been digging these bins looking for that Emmett Rhodes record or something like that. And they really wanted to. You know, once they found it, they would tell their friends, oh, my God, I'll make you a mixtape because this stuff's amazing. I found a a vinyl copy of it. And now I'm sure there's like kids, you know, boys and girls out there who just like they know about all kinds of music that and and stuff that's being made today. So they might be hearing a hip hop beat that, you know, they've grown up 20 years into, into hip hop as well as. As all kinds of emo and all those other things, and you know, and Taylor Swift. So you got like Olivia Rodrigo, who is uh, a child of the Taylor Swift era, who also has some songs that to me could be power pop, whether she knows it or not. Right. Like she, she might see them as punk, and it's the vertical thing. Like everything's there now; you can just grab from it, which I think is awesome.
2: <laughs> like- yeah, it is awesome. I, I you know another conversation might be it cuts both ways because power pop to me is kind of singular driven singles driven rather
1: yeah yeah definitely definitely you know if you,
2: a, a great power pop playlist is heaven uh on the other side there's always those unfound songs on those artists album that aren't very popular they're not out there and you listen to it and you're like oh my god this is amazing
0: yeah
2: and you lose that i guess you know and the the whole album thing but you know
1: there was a song called um this came out sort of during the what I call the Fort Apache era, uh, when all those bands were coming out of that studio. There was a band called Dylan Fence. It's like um, D I L L O N F E N C E, and they had a song from an outs- album called Outside In. The song called Collapses, and it's kind of like a slow motion power pop song, hmm. and it just has this. It has that kind of birds teenage fan club kind of energy you know and it, to me it's a power pop song but nobody else would call it that probably yeah. if you played a little faster it could be it could be like the records or <laughs> like it's it's just and that's a that's one of those mixtape ones where i i would put that on so many mixtapes and it would be like who's that and it, they it sort of sounds like husker Du a little bit the guy from Dylan Fence sounds like he's in a Bob Mould category, you know, like he's he, he does this one thing where he was kind of a nasal snarl that reminded me totally of Bob Mould, you know, um, who I also think can be power pop if <laughs> he wants to more on sugar. I think there was um, If I Can't Change Your Mind by Sugar is to me, a, it's a power pop song. But I mean, I don't know if he likes that.
2: I did that album cover.
1: Oh, wow. That was a great album.
2: Yeah, I worked with Bob on a couple of different ones and he was one of my all time favorite people to work with. You know, oh, he would yeah. come in, come up for a couple of days here to Boston at Ryko Disc and oh, he would man. do his marketing thing. But you could tell like when he got in the production department, he was like happier, you know, and he would he would sit next to me and you know, he had his ideas and he'd certainly ask for my take and yeah. you know, within twenty four hours his album covers were done, you know. He he was such a pleasure to work with.
1: Yeah. He and you you must know this, like from working in that field. When an artist sort of knows what they kind of want, and also respects people around them who can get it, and also maybe take it somewhere. Like, oh, I like what you just said, Bob. But how about this? And he goes, "Yes, you know, because that is that's a good collaborator, and that's somebody who also knows. Because it's the ones who think, oh, I don't know, should I put that color on the cover? Because I can ask my friends, (laughs) you know, like you know, no." No, you want somebody with a vision. And I I think that's great. I'm glad to hear that. Everything I've ever heard about Bob is great. I've only met him a couple of times, but it was all like social interactions. It wasn't like I've never, I've never lent him money or or anything. We're not friends like that.
2: I haven't lent him money either, but he's a super good guy and a fun guy to work with, which
1: if he's listening, I mean, I might have some money.
2: I don't know. (laughs) Oh, my. Um, Let me ask you this. Uh, So you mentioned your band. Are you still playing? Are you a power pop band?
1: I was happy to call the Gravelberries my first band from the '90s. I was happy to call them a power pop band. I was the, you know, the main songwriter. I was the only songwriter, and I was kind of like the main guy. It could have been the Paul Myers band, but I wanted it to be called the Gravelberries. And and then this thing, because it's a collaboration. John is much more. John Mormon is much more. He, you know, he also has had that thing where it's like resistant to the term power pop. I think to some degree because of the ghettoization of it. You know, and so I, I've always sort of hesitated to say that Paul and John is a power pop band. I think we've both enjoyed songs that are power pop. And, you know, certainly we agree on things like cheap trick and the replacements and things like that, which are, you know, again, whether you call those power pop or not, you know, uh, and we're big XTC and Beatles fans. So, you know, it's one of those things where I'll let John say whether he wants that or not. I personally don't mind if some of our songs are power pop. And I'm also kind of at the stage now where I don't want to be, any one thing, anyway. So that's fair, you know. But if you know Power Pop and you know me, you'll know that we're we're gonna run into each other, you know.
2: Are you working on anything else? Are there any more music books in your future?
1: Well, we should mention that there was a follow up to Go All the Way that came out called Go Further, which seemed like the logical next name for a book, and it has a whole bunch of other uh, essays and articles in it. And we got different people for that, which is great. And we also picked up on that one more traditional journalists who had uh, been foundational in the definition of power pop so uh we have ira robbins from trouser press who had written one of the great 1970s articles that really discussed what is power pop uh first i asked him to if he could submit the original and then he said why don't i do a thing where i look back on it and talk about what i learned since then i'm like dude (laughs) i know you're in and then uh also uh we talked to jordan oaks who had this fanzine called yellow pills one of the first places i ever heard some of these bands and it was and he started putting out compilations, Yellow Pills, volume one, two, three, four. And uh, so I asked him to write the story of why he came up with Yellow Pills and what it was like starting a fanzine about Power Pop in the probably the late 70s. I, again, my memory's right. hazy. I have a million things going on. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I, I we don't have enough. I am working on a book about John Candy right now. And uh, my last book was about the, the uh, Canadian comedy troupe, The Kids in the Hall. That was called One Dumb Guy. And it did really well to the point where I was asked to come in and be uh, an executive producer on a film kind of based on it. And that film is was just at South by Southwest. That film's called uh, Kids in the Hall Comedy Punks. And it's uh, coming out to Amazon Prime, I think, May 20th on both Canada and the United States. So I am busy.
2: Yeah, well, I got to say, between Power Pop, John Candy, Kids in the Hall, that's a hell of a Friday night. I mean, that is a fun yeah. Friday night.
1: Yeah, no, it's funny. You know, I the Kids in the Hall book really because it was uh, author- authorized and participating with the kids in the hall, uh, it, it's got kind of a credibility that has really opened me up to a whole new bunch of people that I didn't know. And, and similarly, when I wrote a book about Todd Rundgren about 10 years ago, I got locked into this cool world of Todd Rundgren stuff. And and it's funny, every time I write a book, it kind of makes new friends for me. So that's kind of neat. And uh, also I should mention, I'd like to plug my podcast. The, the Record Store Day podcast with Paul Myers is available wherever you get podcasts. And every two weeks I talk to people who either make records or people who put together records, like you would be a guest, for <laughs> instance, talking about packaging records and things like that. And people from all like I had mastering engineers on the show, but I've also had like, bonnie Rate was on the show recently and I just I have an upcoming episode with Devo and and uh Wet Leg are on the uh the in 2 weeks when I don't know when this is airing but uh Wet Leg will be on my show and that's kind of neat cuz they're peaking Huge. right about now anyway Huge. so 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 it, I'm excited about the Record Store Day podcast uh so that's kind of neat so thanks thanks for letting me plug that
2: <laughs> yeah and then where can people find you do you have a website uh, the best place to
1: find me, frankly, is on Twitter, um, and it's it's a kind of an anagram of Paul Myers, so it's at P U L M Y E A R S at Pull My Ears. <laughs> Pull My Ears is also the name you'll find me on uh, Instagram for my photography.
2: I've followed you on Twitter. You you have a lot of fun uh, things going on. So
1: uh, yeah, it's a it's a bit of a fire hose for me because all my political rants, as well as my musical rants and my film rants, and the odd photograph, and then some really dumb dad jokes. There you go. And I'm not even a dad, so I don't even know how I pull that off. But
2: uh. <laughs> Well, that sounds perfect. Paul Myers, he's the co-author of Go All the Way, A Literary Appreciation of Power Pop. Um, I'd like to thank you for your time. Your book is fantastic. And oh, like you. I said, you know, to our listeners out there and, you know, they're pretty dedicated. This is the first time we've ever had both co-authors on. And it's fascinating. You know, there's a lot of um, similar, you know, viewpoints from you and Steve, but there's a, a whole world of other stuff straight from your head that's fascinating. So thank <laughs> yeah. you for your time.
1: Thank you for letting me uh, dump my, the stuff straight from my head here. I, it's always fun. It's awesome. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
2: If you would like to buy this book, please go to allmusicbooks.com and you can buy it through our site. You can also check out the rest of our deep dive podcasts there as well and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I'd also like to thank our engineer, Steve Folsom. You can check him out at fullsound.com. Finally, big ups to Frankie and the Pool Boys for their one-of-a-kind music played throughout the podcasts. You can check them out at frankieandthepoolboys.bandcamp.com and on all of the major streaming services. Please support local and independent writers and musicians. We're out until the next time, and thanks again for tuning in to Deep Dive, an allmusicbooks.com podcast and now a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network.